This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited about today because back by popular demand, we have Vince Taylor. He's the president of Pilot House Real Estate and author of Beyond the Blindfold, Harnessing the Secret Power of Context. And the self-described Don Cherry of Vancouver Real Estate. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a better dresser. Better dresser, but he's smaller he's, collar. He tells it like it is. Yeah, exactly. Or ha- as he sees it, that's for sure. Well, this is part of the reason why today's episode is so exciting. We talk about where Vince, who's a really a veteran in the uh, real estate world hey, in Vancouver. Early 80s. Exactly. Early 80s and maybe might have sold the first pre-sale condo. He may have sold the arguably. first pre- Arguably the first pre-sale <laughs> condo in Metro Vancouver, but also has seen five different market cycles yes, uh, exactly. over, over the course of his career. Exactly. So we talk about where the market is going. We also talk about what an increase in mortgage rates actually means in terms of taking buyers out of the market. So that's a very interesting conversation. Also, just generally speaking, predictions for years to come, kind of the two, five, 10 years out where Vince sees the market going. And a really interesting conversation about context and where Vancouver real estate fits in the global context. Right. And what I like about this conversation especially is Vince is seeing, I don't think this is a headline, Vince is seeing a slowdown. Right. Right. But he has a very, very specific ideas on what that slowdown entails, what it looks like, how long it is, and where we are two, three, four years out. And he'll put his neck on the line. That's for sure. Yes. I cannot wait for this conversation. It is a great one. Before we get to that, Matt, two things. One, Nick Palella. We've had so much great feedback from that conversation with Nick from Mark on. What a fantastic show. So if you haven't heard that, go back That's and check out uh, yeah. last episode. And then also, I've always thought of you as a bit of a sneakerhead on account Not. of your head looking like a sneaker, but <laughs> you are actually just reading Shoe I Dog just, right now. Okay, this is this a, a book, you know, book review. Book review. I'm listening to Phil Knight, the head of Nike, right? His memoir, I guess, is what it is. I don't think it's an autobiography. It's about building Nike. And uh, yeah. Is it a weird thing that from like, I feel like I've said Nike for years until I was corrected about half a half a decade ago. I or think so. that might be from our childhood in Winnipeg. I, I think so. I think we're probably the only, there was like a little Province. hamlet in, <laughs> in Winnipeg that had it wrong, especially because it's like the Greek goddess of victory or something. Like it's clearly Nike is not, they didn't just make it up and it's like, we didn't get the memo. Right. Um, it's actually, you know, the two things. It's a learned, the, yeah, it's a I, learned thing. If you're from the prairies and you called it Nike, let us know. <laughs> please, uh, do. <laughs> please do. But also if you're from the prairies and you mispronounced milk for years, uh, let us know also. That's one I get. There's elements of the prairie accent that come out. 
uh, yeah. every now and then. Yeah, exactly. But before we before we get too deep into the prairies, everyone should listen to this book. I've heard about this book, so it's called Shoe Dog. I've yeah. heard about this book for a long time, and it always makes the kind of top business books. But it's not really. I mean, it's a business book, but it's a really gripping story. I don't care about shoes at all. I don't care about Nike either. But this story is, it's riveting. Like I'm kind of obsessively listening to this and it's such a great story. And it also, as I listen and think about it, you listen to how Phil Knight partnered up with certain people, certain companies, built his team, what he was looking for in building the team. And you're like, oh yeah, this is actually prescriptive in the way to build a business and kind of larger goals. But I mean, they're getting like FBI is involved at certain points. They're getting sued. They're going to court. They're unable to fulfill their obligations in terms of paying certain people that have lent the money. It is Prefontaine. Remember that movie? Yeah. Remember that jogger? Yeah. Or runner, I should say. I mean, the whole thing, fantastic book. You don't have to be involved in business to be interested in it. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Wow. Well, way to take the energy out of today's interview because now <laughs> now people might just go over to Audible, which is not what we're trying to do no, here. In no. fact, this is one of my... We're not sponsored by Audible. Well, yeah, exactly. And and uh, well, this is actually one of the more riveting conversations I think we've had on the show in a long time in terms of looking at what the market's going to do and predictions and bold predictions. So this is a fantastic episode with Vince Taylor. Anything else you want to talk about? I just want to say, Vince, it's from the gut. You know, I think that kind of goes with the Don Cherry kind of thing. And it was great. He was in the back in the studio having Vince down at Kokomo Studios. is fantastic. Yeah. Great conversation. It it is a good conversation. So without further ado, let's cut to our conversation with Vince Taylor. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam, with 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds. Sonehouse offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Vince Taylor, president of Pilot House Real Estate Incorporated and author of Beyond the Blindfold, Harnessing the Secret Power of Context. And I should say, past guest, fan favorite. We had actually a, a huge... I've already uh, told Vince this. Oh yeah, we had a, we had a great <laughs> Huge, response. huge positive feedback. But I was saying that specifically an aunt of ours, I think you're definitely going down as her favorite guest. 
for whatever reason, you really spoke to her last time. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it's great to have you back. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, it's fantastic to be back. I'm excited to get going. I think last time we were paddling when we were here last. Right. And that uh, resonated with a lot of people. I got some emails. So, no, you guys do a great job keeping the people of Vancouver informed and up to date. And it's a, it's a privilege to be back. Uh, excellent. Well, Vince, maybe for our listeners that didn't catch our show last time you were on, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, I go way back in the real estate industry. A lot of gray hair for those you can't see me. Back to the 80s and even the 90s, I did the first pre-sale project in the history of British Columbia. Now, a few industry people will say, wow, oh, come on, it was first or second. But I'm going to say it's the first because I'm, I'm, I got the microphone. <laughs> but prior to that, people a lot smarter than me had this idea called pre-sale. And the idea was you could sell something that wasn't built. And now we could do a whole show on where this came from, and I won't bore you to death, but it's an important part of the background. Because in those days, your banker was your partner. You took a guess, you designed something, you put it up, and you basically prayed. And it didn't always work. So the banking industry kind of drove pre-sale that said, okay, well, what about if you prove that this is a good idea before we give you the money? Well, that did two things. It improved the quality of the product. It also changed the banking world because the banker was no longer your partner. There was risk-free. They just went for coffee until you took away all their risk. So it fundamentally changed who was a banker, their level of experience that was needed. They basically became an ATM. Now, since then, it's become a much more sophisticated process. So I came from the development industry and spent a long time doing that. So my my background is equally in development as it is in brokerage. And I changed into the brokerage business, longer story for another day, in about 2004. And we've been running Pilot House Real Estate, specializing in pre-sale condos in BC, across Canada, in the US, Hawaii, Mexico, everywhere. Wherever there's condos to be sold, that's what I've done. And uh, yeah, we still continue to uh, hopefully deliver some fantastic product from great developers. And we're really proud of the work that we do. And just thinking about this original pre-sale moment, was that an idea like when you were, first of all, I'm curious where the project was. And secondly, were you looking to other markets? I know because pre-sale is so much more popular here in Vancouver or in the lower mainland than, than other markets. Like were there, were you looking at other examples elsewhere at that time? Well, I'll back you up a little bit. Vancouver has become, and we're a little bit biased here, of course the center of the universe for how to do pre-sale. But to be fair, a gentleman by the name of Hunter Milborn, who's still very much alive and around, introduced it to me and it had already been going for a while in Toronto. So I'd like to say that we invented it, but we didn't. And Hunter said, I got this great idea. And I was a client, developer client of theirs at the time. I said, how are we going to do that? Like, why would anybody buy it that you, what? You know, how's this going to work? And a little Atco trailer in the mud on a Saturday morning, because we didn't know what we were doing. And it was in te on Telegraph Trail in Walnut Grove. And out there in those days, Walnut Grove consisted of a pizza shop and a bunch of farms. And that was one of the first projects out there. And since then, it's grown to this massive community. But that's where it started. It was a townhome project. I don't think we made any money because we didn't understand price escalations through pre-sale as well and how to control those costs. He forgot to tell me about that part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Hunter. Whoops. Uh, he might be listening. So. But it, uh, full credit to, uh, it was called Millbourne Real Estate at the time. And um, they introduced it to me and they said, do you want to give it a try? And I mean, I'd love to say that I was deeply sophisticated and, uh, you know, brilliant. But I said, sure, not really knowing what I was getting into. And from there, that team at Millbourne 
Peter Dupuis and Sid Landolt in particular took that concept to levels that we, we wouldn't even have dreamed of in those days. And they went on to be S&P real estate and right. some of the biggest projects in the world. And, and those were the guys. And it was really over a couple of beers in New Westminster and said, hey, do you want to give this a try? And that's really how this industry was born. And now you can't go anywhere in the world where pre-sale isn't done more or less the exact same way as we did it back in those days. So this is actually an interesting segue because we're in a really interesting moment right now in the market. And you just mentioned kind of the price appreciation or price escalation, but you're obviously a student of the market and that's become more involved in, in how you're marketing properties. I'm wondering what, what your take is on, on the market right now. Well, sometimes uh, when I get on uh, shows like yours with huge audiences and sophisticated listeners, I, I got to be careful what the Don Cherry of real estate is what they've been calling me. So, all right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give it to you straight, as Don would say. I mean, he got he got in a little trouble, but I got to be careful. I've been around a long time, and generally speaking, these fluctuations in the market are very natural and very cyclical. And quite often, people who really don't know what they're talking about fabricate all these reasons for market changes. The truth is, prices get too high, and people get tired. And that's where we are today. And I know we're going to talk about a little more about how do you spot these trends and then what do you do about it? You know, the, the markets, they come and they go. But generally speaking, this is the message it, to kick this show off. Vancouver is a world-class city. And I know we talked about this last time, but it bears repeating. Tokyo, Paris, London, New York City, and Vancouver are all in the same breath now. And just because you were born here doesn't mean you deserve to live here. And it doesn't mean you're going to own a house here. One of the things, and this is a tangent, so you can stop me if you like. One of the things we have to do in the development industry that we've been poor at doing is not making people feel bad to realize that they might never own a single family home. In fact, they might never own a home ever. And if you do travel to London or Paris or Tokyo or New York, people rent. They rent their whole life. And that's okay. So what do we have to do in these vertical communities to make it okay? To buy a condo, studio condo, when you're in your 20s, you get yourself a shiny girlfriend, you buy a one-bedroom. You have a couple of kids, you buy a two-bedroom. Your wife leaves you, you own the one-bedroom, she moves the kids, keeps the kids in the twos. <laughs> you know, you get sick, you move back into your thing, and then they bury you out in the yard in the back. <laughs> You've spent your whole life in this vertical community just going up and down the elevator. But what does that look like? We used to think of condos as a stepping stone, but they're not anymore. Now you have to be able to get your online shopping delivered. You have to have recreation space. You have to be able to wash your dog. You have to be able to have a community room that isn't some afterthought. It has to be a place where you can celebrate moments in your life with great pride, where the, the kitchen is mind-boggling and it's a 100-inch TV and there's beer on tap and, and you can play your electric guitar, which you're not allowed to play anymore because you live in a condo. Where, where can you do this? So... The design of condos, but the attitude of condos has really dramatically changed for the better and is changing more and more and more. And you, if you look at the U.S. model, they've more or less gone away from condos for sale and into the rental model. They're ahead of us. When you go to places like Seattle or L.A. or San Francisco, you used to see strata condos for sale. What we're seeing now is primarily rental condos. One reason, affordability, right? You just don't have enough money. So what do we do? We make it okay to be a renter. So we're not there yet in Vancouver. 
The fundamental second tangent is if you don't understand world markets, and I think I mentioned this to you last time, if you don't understand Shanghai, you can't understand Coquitlam. If you don't understand Paris, you can't understand Delta. Because we've been myopic in the old days as, as the village of Vancouver types and not quick enough to realize that we are an international city. My window to the world is Shanghai. Whatever's going on in Shanghai is going to happen here. So if they're at 5,000 a foot for condos, we will be too. And there's people listening, oh my God, well, we're already going to be 3,000 a foot downtown. And when we talked to you guys last time, it was 2,000 a foot. Mm -hmm. So if you don't understand Shanghai, how can you not be appalled at pricing in West Van? But you shouldn't be because your model is right there. Just get on a plane, go over and look. Walk around the, the French concession in Shanghai and see what the cost of a single family house is. And that's why... I told you guys the story of standing on Canby Street with a client of mine last time who said, the, the prices are right in front of your nose. You guys have lived here all your life, and then you blame us for coming and buying it. Beautiful, fresh air, schools, rule of law, and cheap. At $2 million a lot, it's cheap. Well, we could have bought it for $30,000, $50,000, All You guys are realtors. You let those things go thinking, oh, wait, it can't be worth $2 million. Yes, it is. And great news, it's going higher and higher higher that's what's happening long answer well okay but so so this is interesting because it's going higher and higher and higher but your take on the market right now specifically if we're thinking kind of three months six months a year is not necessarily that we're going higher no so macro and micro two very different looks just like we all see the stock market charts if you look at them carefully they're jagged if you look at them broadly they're up and the real estate market in this world-class city we call Vancouver is up. Now, what's happened here is the market is slowing down exactly, exactly when it should. When we talk last, I tell anyone who will listen, this run-up has been quite incredible in, in the long time that I've been doing this. Sharp increase in price caused by COVID was highly unusual. So why would I say then, when interest rates are historically low, we're at virtually 100% employment, there's no inventory. Why would I have the nerve to come on here and say things are going to slow down? There's a simple reason it's called despair. And people are just tired. And when you listen to your clients in the market, they're just tired. That doesn't mean that they're right. And it doesn't mean that the market's going to stay down or there's going to be some collapse. But eventually, commodities outprice the ability of people to pay for them. To use a very simplistic example. You go to Walmart, you buy a pair of socks, they're five bucks. You come back next week, they're seven bucks. Okay. They're 10 bucks. Now you're getting a little frustrated with this whole, you come back next week, they're $42. Socks are commodities. And you're saying, no, I'm not buying socks. Does that mean you're never going to buy socks? Because you got to put something on your feet. But today you're mad and you're just saying no. That's what happens in the real estate market as well. People are frustrated and I'm feeling and I'm sure you guys are too. We used to see multiple offers, all crazy things. This mar this last month, people said, I'd, I, I got to step away. I got to clear my head. I got to think about what my future is going to look like. I got to go talk to Aunt Brenda. I got to borrow some money. I got to get together with some friends. But today, I just need to go have a beer. I'm not buying anything right now. I've had enough. So when that happens, different segments of the market tend to flatten and then they come off. So I expect this market will come off slightly into the fall only because the cure for high prices are high prices. 
That doesn't mean the market's going to collapse for the doomsayers out there who've been saying, I told you so. No, don't get yourself too excited. If it comes off 10 points, it's just a result of it going past the glass ceiling and now having to come back. The only segment where you have to be a little careful, and depending on time, we can talk about this, is raw land. Raw land tends to come off 20 to 25 points. The reason for that is it's the hardest real estate to finance. So if you're holding couple of lots and you're going to sell it to a builder and nobody's buying and you got big payments at the bank, you got to, you're going to have to change your pricing, right? The mortgage amounts are going up, which they need to. That takes a hundred thousand buyers out of the market. That puts downward pressure on pricing, right? Not in the overall trend line, but we're taking a much needed break right now. And that's all I'm saying. It's interesting because we had a, well, we have a good friend who comes on the show quite regularly, Dustin Woodhouse, who has talked about our market as a yo-yo on an escalator. It's kind of always trending upwards, but there's these moments of Correct. of where, you know, we see peaks and, and valleys. So it sounds like we're kind of moving into this valley territory. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious because we talk a lot on this show about FOMO, which is another one of these kind of intangible ideas that kind of seems to drive the market. And this idea of like buyer exhaustion, how do you pick up on it? Like, how do you, how do you see it actually operating in the market? Well, there's two things, you know, the media does a great job telling us all the things that are right and wrong because they need to, you know, part of the word news is new, right? That's the first three letters. They got to come up with something new every day, even if it isn't true. We don't, we don't read their stuff. So they make things up all the time, but they also give us a barometer of people on the street. How are you feeling? You know, how are you two guys feeling? How are your clients feeling? But then there's the structural questions like mortgage rates. It's counterintuitive to think that people would buy more as, as mortgage rates go up, but that's exactly what's happened. I've been through five major recessions and that's always the case. When mortgage rates are falling, people step on the sidelines thinking, oh, wow, I'm going to wait till next week because it's going to be even cheaper and cheaper. You can't give stuff away when mortgage rates. So, escalation of mortgage rates that we've seen, we knew we were coming six months ago. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's like writing on the wall for anybody in the industry. That means anyone who's got a picket fence up their butt has been sitting there and you phone them and say, dude, you better get in the market quarter point because everybody wants the one eight nine so they can tell all their friends who cares about one eight nine or two Oh one doesn't matter. But you know, the, the mentality, there's your FOMO. Well, then it goes up a quarter then it goes up another quarter and people are like, oh my God. And then when it goes up another quarter, it's over for a while. Because the physical reality is that about 100,000 people, and I know industry professionals will question me on this, but for our purposes, 100,000 buyers are out with every quarter point of interest rate increase. They just physically can't qualify. Now you can blame the stress test. You can blame this. You can blame it. It doesn't matter. Because in my day, interest rates are 7, 8, 9, 10%. And that was good. Now they're low, but the, it doesn't matter because as they go up, you physically don't have enough money to qualify. So the markers of this downturn were clear six, eight months ago when the Bank of Canada said, we're going to have to raise interest rates because we can't run our pension funds. You can't have an economy with 2% interest rates. You need at least 5%. Otherwise, there's no pension. So this was a this was a clear marker. So people are gathering themselves they're dealing with the reality of not being able to qualify. I mean, at today's rates, even with a $100,000 income, I mean, you guys know this as, as realtors, you get a 100,000 household income, which is slightly high across the GVRD, you only qualify for 550000 Well, a condo today is 800000 
Well, what if you have a household income of 70000 and it goes up another quarter point? Guess what? You're a renter. Well, we're going to talk about renting, I hope, because you mm-hmm. think rents are high? Wait for the next six months or a year. Rents are going way higher than they are now. They have to. So we're saying in the next, how long in terms of the, the cycle that we're, we're talking about, and it sounds like Vince, you've been through five of them. We're saying prices off 10%. Mm-hmm. Now, does that, I guess a couple of questions, how long does that last more or less? Does it matter in terms of submarket and property type? So are we talking, is there a difference between single family versus, you know, entry level condos, townhomes, that type of thing? Great question. Within the commoditized subcategories, it doesn't really matter generally. So we're not talking about luxury houses and we're not talking about specialty. Let's talk about a house that you're going to live in with your family, whether it's a nice condo or a single family house or a townhouse. So across the asset classes, you tend to get up about 10%. Now, the big question is how long does it last? When you get a, a real problem like the financial crisis 2009, three, four, five years in the US, two and a half years in Canada, let's say. This time, my feeling is we're going to be very shallow, very shallow, because this isn't a structural problem. We have 100% employment, right? Mm-hmm. We have historically low interest rates. We have no inventory. I know there's some city planners listening who are getting blamed for everything. It's not their fault. They're bound by regulation that is another whole podcast. We can't get things through the city hall as a development community. It's no one's fault. It's everyone's fault. We can't get there. So the supply isn't there. So if Walmart doesn't have any socks, socks are going to go up in price. They've been blaming COVID and you know, uh, supply chain issues and all that may be true. Well, we have the same supply chain issues in housing. So we're not having a structural recession in the point that everyone's going to get laid off. We're going to have a shallow recession because of fatigue and having to find new ways to borrow money and finance your home. So I'm going to say we're going to come off about 10 points. We're going to come off about 20 points in land, but it's only going to last between six and eight months. So again, the doom and gloomers who are going to try to time the bottom, good luck with that. You're not going to be able to time it exactly. I may be off by a few months here or there, but this has to happen. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a fact. Okay. So six, eight months, I'm just thinking, okay, we're April here. So let's even call it end of 2022. So we're, we're in for a slowdown to the end of 2022. I'm just wondering, it sounds like the kind of buyer fatigue, the kind of regular ebb and flow of prices get too high, prices come off and we start again. What about, I think somebody out there has got to be thinking, okay, we're in a situation that a lot of people can't remember where inflation seems to be moving at a real rapid clip. And at least some people are thinking a half point on April 13th, I think is when the Bank of Canada is planning to have the next potential rate increase. Does that type of stuff, is that in your mind kind of noise or does that add a layer of risk here that is not kind of on every one of these market cycles? I think it's mostly noise and partly because the relationship between rising interest rates and cooling off inflation is largely an old fashioned economics idea. People much smarter than me, there's five people in the world who understand it and I'm not one of them. So (laughs) let's say, so if the guy, if, if I don't get it and you don't get it and we're in the business, nobody gets it. 
in the old days, you could simply raise rates and cool inflation. That's what they told us at, at UBC. Uh, I never went there. I just cleaned the bathroom. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's what I heard through the door at UBC. Uh, it doesn't work like that anymore. So it's largely noise. I mean, let's look at it this way. Interest rates need to be about 5% for a country to be stable. We all want old age pension. The, the teachers want their pension. The nurses want their pension. But there's very strict guidelines correctly on how pension funds can invest their money. It's very tight. Well, if you can only invest your money at 1% interest and inflation's running at two, how are we going to pay the aging people? So pension funds are dramatically underfunded. We need 5% interest for the aging population, right? So we got two counterintuitive things. Oh my God, interest rates don't go up, but I'd like my CPP. Huh? You know, it's a bad game of who's on first here. So, this has to happen, and it's a good thing, okay? So much of it is noise. The inflation that we're seeing, to my amateur view, is largely based on supply chain issues. We can't get there from here. Stuff is expensive because it's fallen off the ship or the ships and whatever. Don't base your real estate assumptions on this noise. The only caveat, people tend to get laid off if prices get too high and then the guy in the corner who sells sandwiches or socks or haircuts can't hire the extra person because fewer people are coming in to buy the services. And that can tumble into a recessionary thing. But we're at full employment. I mean, we're at structurally 100% employment. So that is noise to me. I'm just thinking about all the buyers out there that are still competing for places and just how busy the market's been. And and I definitely hear your your sentiment about the fatigue because you, you hear that every day in this market, especially working with buyers. What opportunities do you think are coming for buyers, if any? And clearly timing the bottom, it doesn't sound like that's a strategy that you'd employ, but are there going to be opportunities for people and should people maybe wait to pull the trigger? The only people who should wait to pull the trigger, in my view, are people who are buying land not big multifamily projects are going to take three years because then by end of we're, we're back we're back again and we're probably higher. But if you're going to buy a lot on the corner and build a duplex, which is a pretty small segment of the market, mm-hmm. I think I'd I'd hang on till the fall because there's going to be downward pressure on that land has to be not on the big sites. For anyone the pros listening, I'm not advocating don't buy land that's going to be ready in three years. You can buy DP ready land ready to go. You can pay full price if you're going to get caught going to market in the next eight to 12 months and you're buying land at the peak, that's the issue. So what do buyers do? Well, pre-sale, not just my bias, because that happens to be the segment that I I like. Pre-sale gives you a lot of flexibility. Now, obviously it isn't for everyone. We talked about it a little bit before. If you buy a resale home, you're in, that's it. You paid the price and you can tell all your friends how smart you are or cry that you overpaid either way. But if you buy a pre-sale, you have one way in and three ways out. And that's a big, big deal. So let's go back, not even a year ago. We couldn't give pre-sale away like nothing. We're standing on the corner, you know, basically free condos. Everybody was buying single family. Nobody bought pre-sale. It changed overnight. What happened is the real estate community came to us and said, my clients don't even want this stuff. And we're like, oh, thank you. I think that's a compliment, but I'm not (laughs) entirely sure. Well, then what are you doing here? We're so tired of losing out in multiples. We want the certainty of pre-sale. We know exactly what we're buying. We know exactly what it costs. We know exactly when we're going to get it. And there's no multiples in pre-sale. Oh, okay. Well, we'll take that. 
Presale took off. So what happens now with presale? You have three ways out. For those who bought at the beginning of this run, they're going to assign and do really, really well. And, and I know the sophisticated audience, so you can, uh, you can assign your contract without closing on it and you get to keep the difference. Hundreds of thousands of dollars being made by people who had no intention of moving in. Now, if you get caught where your construction is going to take a little longer and, and the assignment might be cool, you can close on it, rent it out for a while, wait until the end of 2022 when it's back up, 15, get out again. Or you can hold it as a long-term play and do the rent and hold. So pre-sale gives you the flexibility of one way in, three ways out. If you buy a single family home, you're in. You can't easily get out. You got to pay a whole bunch of fees and, and you're locked and loaded. So using pre-sale as a strategy in these coming months is also a, a really good, it's a sophisticated thing, but I mean, you guys can talk to your clients about it. It's a really good thing. The second part, to answer your question specifically, my friend and longtime business partner, Bill Morrison, was fond of saying, when availability becomes more important than affordability, the sellers win. Whether it's a cabbage patch doll that people are fighting to get, nobody cared whether it was 20 bucks or 30 bucks, you needed that damn doll, right? <laughs> and if you need a place to live and it's 642,000 or 675,000, whatever, you know, buy the thing. So this last couple of years, availability has become more important than affordability because there was nothing to buy. Well, as supply comes back into the market, we see more balance. Some of that, which is a good thing, settles down. People have more time for more choice. They can look around a little bit and we get into a more balanced market with better product, more fair pricing and less frenzies. Frenzies are great for sellers, but they're short-lived. And that's it. So to very specifically answer your question in a roundabout way I've got there, if you find what you want, don't worry about the price. So if you find the perfect home and I'm telling you today, oh, that Vince guy said I could have waited till November, then you wait till November and the house that you really want is gone. What's 10% matter when it's going to be up another 10 or 15% a year from today? You haven't even got the baby's room painted and it's already past what you paid for. So you're only going to be crying about it for six or eight months. Buy what is right for you if you're buying to move in. If you're an investor, then we're having a different conversation. It's a different strategy. Well, maybe we should have that in terms of strategy. It sounds like one for an investor, at least the pre-sale, it sounds like, and that makes a lot of sense, right? That kind of one way in, three ways out. What are your thoughts in terms of if somebody's buying it as a rental, when is the is the point of of action depends on completion date. So again, we get a little more sophisticated. So if I'm going to buy high rise today and I get a, I get a good price and it's not ready for three years, beautiful fly at it. If I'm going to buy something today, that's going to be completing in six months and I'm hoping to assign the contract. Well, if you believe what I'm saying, six months, we're into a slowdown and I pay at 500,000, it's probably worth 500,000 or 480 or something but I'm not going to be able to flip that contract. So then I have to realize that that might be one way in two and a half ways out, right? So it depends on what you're buying and what asset class. You don't see a lot of flipping in townhomes, for example. Those are larger price, less price sensitive for families. You know, you're paying 1.3 million. By the time you pay fees, you flip it for 1.35. What's the point? Mm -hmm. But condos, for professionals offer really good flexibility and the investment strategy is when is the completion date, right? That is the real key. 
because you would eliminate your ability to assign at a, at a large profit. So that is a critical timing issue. So Vince, we, we kind of talked a little bit, we touched on that rents are going up and um, we also talked a little bit about how there's a lot of markets in the world that are kind of global cities where people are lifelong renters, right? And, and there's buildings that cater to, to people that are just going to be renting. And we've had that conversation on this show before like, with uh, people in the development community. Well, Nick Palella, who was just on from Marcon, he made a, the point, I think, shift to vertical living as a lifelong, that's just the way right. they're creating communities based on that idea. And then also, yeah, like rental is just being more and more of a of the norm. Yeah. And I think the other thing we've talked about on this show is that there's been a lot of pressure on rents. Rents have already been climbing and any kind of losses during COVID are, are gone now, generally speaking, and rents are up from where they were prior to COVID. Yes. So where, where are we at with the rental market and what are your thoughts on rents in general? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet, is <laughs> to paraphrase uh, the famous song. So, you know, here's an, kind of a fun example. You know, we'll, we'll pick on you. So you're living with your brother and his, and his wife and, you know, you kind of were out of work for a while, so they're kind enough to give you their second bedroom. And they're going to lend you a few bucks, partly because they like you and partly because they want your ass out of the house. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so all of a sudden, Jerry and Drizelda announce that they're pregnant, having their second kid. You are out of that room. Oh, and that 20 grand they were going to give you? Uh, they can't now because they got to, you know, buy stuff. And you're like, well, okay. So you phone your mortgage broker and you say, can I still qualify? I got my fancy new job at Amazon. You're the assistant night shift manager of the purple division delivery board or whatever it is you got down there. And your mortgage broker says, sorry, dude, it's up a quarter point, half point, federal stress test, you're out. So now you and 100,000 people like you who've been kicked out of your brother's basement or spare room go into the rental market. Well, there's no more supply. So back to Walmart and socks, what are you going to do? So as people exit the market from the ability to buy because of increased mortgage rates, there's increased pressure because we can't build stuff fast enough because we can't get through city hall. Again, not hacking on city hall. We can't get there. So we can't build buildings. There is no supply. Everybody's got a job. They can afford more rent, right? Critically important because we're at full employment. Mm -hmm. So if it was 2,500 bucks a month to rent, now it's going to be 27, 28, 29 because they can, you know, the landlords can do it. Why wouldn't they charge you. Well, that's not fair. Great. Move to Moose Jaw. Right. Sorry, dude. Like you just, cause you grew up here. If you, if, if you work in Manhattan, you live in Queens, you live in the Bronx. There's nothing that says I was born in the hospital in Manhattan. Therefore I'm obligated to live here. And that's the big thing. So as the buyers exit the market due to pressure on interest rates and they have good paying jobs, those two things have to go together. Rents are going to skyrocket. And fundamentally, that's where we're at right now. So brace yourself. If you thought they were high now, they're going to go crazy. Okay, so we're talking, just to summarize so far, we're, by the end of the year, we're probably 10 points off, 10% down on on prices across the region. Rents are up. Yes. I'm kind of curious as to, obviously, I think anyone listening knows, Vince, you're you have a positive outlook longer term on the market. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What, so it sounds like this in terms of the actual real estate market pricing, it's a short-lived little blip here. What What are your thoughts for 2023, 2024? I, I don't, I haven't changed my attitude at all, uh, macro, micro. So micro, 
when we talked last, and again, I know some, not everybody heard that, I, I said, stop complaining, catch a wave, get a friend, get an aunt, do something, get in the market, or admit that you're never going to be in the market and be okay with that. They're very important things. And you have to be okay with being a renter because it is okay. Mm -hmm. Just because we weren't used to it in Vancouver doesn't mean now that we're world-class city, that isn't a thing. But if you want to get in the market, you have to find a way and do it now. And the, the 5%, 10%, 12%, up, down, six, eight months doesn't matter. The message is if you want long-term growth, you got to get into the market. Now, I'll say one thing. We're generally all hypocrites when it comes to pricing and affordability. It sounds nice on a coffee cup or something. The only day any of us in this room want the price of real estate to go down is the day we buy it. Because you're going to phone each other and say, I'm smarter than you. I bought this great condo. The next call you're going to make is it's already gone up 10,000. I'm even double smarter than you, right? <laughs> because as realtors, you guys don't have a pension, right? Neither right. do I. We're getting 1200 a month, maybe, which isn't your bar bill, probably. <laughs> so, that's specifically. That's specifically. <laughs> so what are you going to do with 1200 a month? So you have to rely, if you live in the city of Vancouver or Tokyo or Paris or London, the only pension you're going to have of any value is your real estate holding. So honestly, do you give a damn about the kids trying to get in the market? No, you don't. Let's be honest with each other. Hell with the kids. And sorry, if the parents and the grandparents aren't helping the kids, they are out. Like they are out and we don't even care. Like you guys are looking at me like, well, are you sure you want to say that? You guys don't care. You really <laughs> don't. Don't real estate folks. There it is. Because I'm telling you, the day you bought your investment condo, you only want one thing and that's for it to go up. All right? Self-preservation. So let's not pretend that affordability is something people in Vancouver care about because we don't. In fact, we want the opposite. So get in the market. That hasn't changed. It doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong or off a few months. And I'm, I'm sure some people are listening going, how could it go down? Blah, blah, blah. It will. I can be off by a month or two. It doesn't matter. But that doesn't change the macro view. Is your guy, Escalator with the yo-yo. He's right. This escalator is going up. We're going to 5,000 a foot for condos because that's the window. If you want to understand Coquitlam, you got to understand London. You want Delta, you understand Shanghai. Don't kid yourself. And part of, you know, I know we're not talking about my book, but part of what that writing the book helped me was let go of flawed arguments. Let go of what people tell you, things that are foolish. Go do your own homework and get to the facts. And the fact is, we are nowhere near the price of world-class cities yet, and we're going there for sure. For sure, as we're sitting here. There'll be a few blips along the way, but if, you, if you're in denial and think that's not true, then you really have to move to a different city. If you want to live in Vancouver, that's a fact. So if, if you're Don Cherry, we're definitely Ron McLean here and, and just kind of laughing cautiously, but uh, very good points. And, uh, and I think a lot of people share your kind of bedrock confidence in the market. So it, it makes a lot of sense. So in thinking about that, we've, we've kind of talked about the market and by 2024, we talked about maybe putting some kind of some hard numbers to it. Like what is the market? Where are we at in 2024? Generally speaking, in the four or five recessions I've been through going back to 1981, which everybody talks about because of the high interest rates. But aside from that, it's been hard to believe that your property doubles on average every 10 years. And that after every recession, at the top of the frothiest market, remember 2017, I mean, you guys were 
you're not super young guys, you're not old guys. You remember 2017 when the market ended. We have not only exceeded those numbers, which we thought at the time were insane. Mm-hmm. Like, how could people afford this? Wages aren't going up. Same argument, right? Just port that same argument, drop it over here. We have not only gone past 2017, we've crushed those numbers. So what's going to happen 2024? We're going to crush the numbers that we're at now. And people who aren't in the market are saying, how is this possible? So real estate tends to appreciate in a normal market at about seven and a half to eight percent. So the finance guys will tell you that at seven percent values, whether it's stock market or in a GIC, doubles every 10 years. You bought a house for a hundred, it's worth 200, 200, 400, 400, 800. That's how, that's how you win. Well, this year we saw what, 25, 30% growth. So you think, well, come on, how could it ever go? It will. That is the part that my gray hair is telling you is when I bought my first house, I bought it for 64th. Don't laugh. I'm not that old. (laughs) New Westminster, 8th Avenue. uh, I bought a house with a friend of mine for $64,000 and I'm not that old. 64 grand in my lifetime. And we flipped it for 120 grand. We thought we'd won the lottery. It's now worth 1.5 million. If we were smarter, had more money, would have kept it. That house doubled every 10 years and continues. So Yes, if you buy a house for 40 million, it's harder to get to 80 million. But within the regular commoditized real estate, it tends to double about every 10 years. And the prices tend to increase 10 or 15% over the peak of the last recession. So 2024, if prices today are 2,000 bucks, you can, a foot for a nice downtown real estate, you can add 15% to that for sure. Like as sure as we're sitting here. So even if you don't buy the dip, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. When I'm talking about a dip, I'm not saying in a negative way or you should try and time it. I'm just saying there's some specific segments of the market predictably land because of the difficulty to finance that are going to come off a little more. The rest, buy, 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 buy. If you happen to get a good deal, great. Don't sweat it. If you get the house you want, just buy it. I'm curious, Vince, thinking about, we just talked about 2017 and kind of 2018, 2019 was was a slowdown. And then right around the start of 2020, it was like back to, you know, back going gangbusters. Uh, but there, there did seem like there was, you know, there was developers kind of took their foot off the gas at that period. At least it seemed that way that there was less supply. Like in, in your mind, the, the people you're working with, are they just wondering about the sentiment in terms of people actually building supply right now? Are they still kind of foot to the floor? buying land, developing, keep going. Foot to the floor. Yeah. So in 2019, we'd had two years of recession. And so, I mean, as commission guys, like you guys, we were dying. You know, the world ended in 2017 from a commission salesperson's (laughs) point of view. Like, send back the BMW, get the Hyundai, because this is over for a while, right? Those Aston Martins were going back to the shop. So finally, 2020 comes in, February 2020. Like, we're starting to sell things again. God, we're, we're good COVID. So we got frozen in time with COVID. The market had zero supply because people had taken their foot off the gas from a development point of view, 2017, 2018, 2019. Obviously, what's the point of bringing a condo 300 units to market if there's no buyers? So you tend to pull back a little bit, but we were accelerating and then boom. Well, it seems like a million years ago that COVID was announced, but it was only two years ago. And then we didn't know if we we're all going to die or what this was going to be. And, and without being too morbid, it reminds me of 9-11. 
you know, a terrible tragedy thousands of miles away shut down the Vancouver real estate market and every market. Everybody just didn't go to restaurants. They held their babies tight and kept their money in savings. Well, it, as far as a world event, it was a long way from here, but we were deeply affected by it. And COVID was much the same. We didn't know where this was going to go. So if you're a developer, are you going to spend the fees and the money and the cost to bring a project to market when there's no clear end in sight? Well, as it started to become clear that we weren't all going to die, and I'm, sadly some people did, but it, it wasn't what we thought, we scrambled to get back. We, the development community, scrambled to get back to City Hall. Guess what? Nobody's working at City Hall. They're all at home. Oh, so what used to take a year and a half now took two and a half years again, City Hall people, not hacking on you. You're trying to work from home. You're trying to do a difficult job. You're mired in red tape. Everybody's frustrated. The buyers have come back with a vengeance. Everybody wants everything. Socks are now $47. What are we going to do? You can't get product to market. So for the last year, the development community has just been going as fast as we possibly can to bring supply. We can argue the number, but let's say there's 10,000 homes standing inventory right now. It's probably not even that. You guys would know better than me. Immigration numbers this year are, have, have jumped up to 420,000 been approved, plus the 100,000 that didn't come through COVID. There's 500,000 people waiting to come to Vancouver. Let's say that's split equally between Toronto and Vancouver. For easy math, 75,000 new people are coming to Vancouver by the time you spread it around. We got 10,000 homes. The rest are bogged down in red tape. And we got 75,000 people with nowhere to physically live, right? And you're out of your brother's room because of the kid. <laughs> and you can't sleep at Amazon. They won't let you do that. So where are we going to put these people? That's why people will say, you know, to me, well, you can't, you're crazy. There can't be a slowdown with this much pressure. It's not a structural slowdown other than caused by despair and reality. You don't qualify for a mortgage, even though you got a great new job. You don't qualify. What am I going to do? do I, am I going to move to Alberta? Am I going to move to the island, which is getting terribly expensive? Or am I going to fight it out and try and stay in Port Moody? Because that's where I grew up and where I really want to raise my family. Well, Port Moody is way higher today than it was a year ago and way higher than it was in 2017. And it's going 15% higher. So this despair is a break. It's just walking outside to have a smoke. That's what the market's doing. It just said, I, I know I got to go back in there. Like, I got to, but I got to have a smoke. I got to I gotta go outside. I guess people don't smoke anymore. We used to go outside the pub and have a smoke. <laughs> a vape? Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe a vape. <laughs> but it's, it's, not a, it's not a fear thing. And then the immediate reaction from people that have product to sell, you know, we could get into when's the best time to buy a pre-sale, the beginning and the end. Like, say you got seven homes left in your project. And you just want to get out of this thing. You've been working on it for years. There's some good deals to be had at the end of a pre-sale project. There's some good deals to be had in the middle. We get you in the middle, or pardon me, at the beginning, we get you in the middle. But the beginning and the end of a pre-sale project, there's fatigue. So those prices you're going to see, people just say, okay, fine. You don't want to pay a million bucks. How about 950? Okay, fine. Right? So that's how prices come off. Then the guy down the street goes, Ugh, my buddy there sold it for 950. Okay, 945. Right. Fine. 935, fine. And then somebody comes in getting bold and says, I'll give you 850. It's like, beat it. We're not selling for 850. So that's where you get the 10% is just developers wanting to get out. People are tired and then eventually get onto the new stuff. And then those opportunities to buy 10% are gone. Right. The window's this big. You can't see on here, but I'm holding my fingers very close together. Tiny. 
Maybe, and we've taken a lot of your time to this morning, Vince, already, but maybe as a, a final... I, I love this stuff, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do we, uh, and we appreciate it. But maybe as a final question, just thinking about the opportunities, geographically speaking, in the lower mainland and then maybe in the province, are there areas, maybe sub-areas in the lower mainland that you're really excited about? And then also uh, different municipalities throughout the province that you're excited about? My favorite municipality and I should get like royalties from the city of mission <laughs> as a guy who grew up here, grew up in New Westminster, we lived there for 50 years. And I can say, I'm going to get some hate mail for this. Nobody ever aspired. Very few people aspired to move to mission. Like we never thought about when we were kids, Oh my God, mom, let's move out there one of these days. Sure. Now the place has completely changed. And a lot of credit goes to the council out there and sort of the, the people out there who said, okay, this is a really great place to live just because you didn't think of it. We've got the train. We've got the West Coast Express. We're an easy drive up to the Okanagan. We've got lots of land. And relatively speaking, it is the cheapest price for real estate in the GVRD, which now extends to Mission. Yes, there'll be a day with Chilliwack and Hope and all that. But today, Mission and Abbotsford are fantastic markets. And they're family-friendly markets. And they're affordable markets and it used to be that about they were about 20% where people could live and work in the same community. Now it's about, we'll argue and say it's 50%. You can mm -hmm. actually live in mission. We were talking about how often do we go in the office anymore. Right. Well, a lot of people don't go in the office anymore. So you can live in this beautiful home in mission and commute maybe a couple of days a week. But if you had to commute five, six days a week, it was just too far. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are my, those are the markets I love. I love Port Moody. Another market that's emerging beautifully is Port Coquitlam. Shameless plug for a new project I'm working on in Burke Mountain. Honestly, I hadn't been to Burke Mountain for 20 years. I keep hearing people say Burke Mountain. I'm thinking, I know where it is, kind of. <laughs> but if you kind of go to Port Moody or is it Coquitlam or Port, like, I don't know. So I drove up there the other day. I was just like blown away by the building and development and the young families and the strollers. It reminded me a lot about Squamish. You know, you, you walk downtown Squamish, totally changed. Now it's 30-somethings with a, you know, a beard and a baby and a stroller and a dog and a pair of skis, and they're not coming back. Like Squamish has gone crazy, but the prices have gone so high, you can't even really get into there anymore. Mm -hmm. So Port Coquitlam, Mission, Abbotsford. And then if you find, back to the thing, if you find a home that you like and it works with your lifestyle and your commute, buy it. Don't worry about this grumpy old man telling you that you, the price might go down a little bit. Forget it. If you got something you like, availability is more important than affordability because the long-term trend is straight up in this city. So the doom and gloomers, sorry, you're wrong. If you keep waiting, you're just going to keep waiting. That's it. Well, that's a good place, I think, to to leave it. We do have this segment, uh, the five wire events. Do you have time to stick <laughs> I around do, for that? I do. Last time I knew what they were going to be. Now you're <laughs> okay. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the Lower Mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. So, so question number one, Vince, is uh, what are you listening to these days in terms of music? You have a favorite band or favorite song? 
my musical taste quit evolving after high school, and uh, it's sad. So <laughs> I listened. The the farthest I can get is the '90s music, which sounds a lot like '70s music, and I never make it past the dial on on uh, series. I, I one of these days, I think I'm really gonna. I watched the Grammys the other night, and I didn't know anybody. So yeah, uh, sorry. It's uh, it's old stuff for me, and uh, some some '90s. We're getting, well, I shouldn't speak for you, Adam. I'm getting there. I was, I watched SNL for the first time in a long time and I didn't have a clue who the host was and I didn't have a clue who the musical act was. I hadn't heard of either of them. It's like, all my, right. My playlists are all old stuff. So uh, no, no, no revelation there, sadly. What about a, a show or a movie that you'd recommend? I've been forced to watch Bridgerton because my wife says I'm insensitive. So she's <laughs> made me watch that. <laughs> Uh, with her to improve my sensitivity. I don't know if it's working, but of course, <laughs> Yellowstone and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I we try to watch this, the regular shows that come on. But again, you know, I'm a sports fan primarily. So my eyes are glued to to the sports show whenever I can get hold of that. We used to call it a clicker. I don't know if it's still called a clicker remote control. <laughs> it's a clicker in my house. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sports fan. So that's my my view. One book, Vince, uh, you would recommend, and of course, we've we've already recommended your yours. So, uh, one other that sticks out in your mind is something our listeners would enjoy. Well, yeah, there there's a few, and I, I may have mentioned. I, I think I said Atlas Shrugged when I was on here last. Time. You did, you did, and uh, I wish more people would pick up that book. And there's and there's the Fountainhead and a few others, but it's uh, there's another book if you want to get something weird. It's the strangest book I've ever read, either the greatest book or the worst book. It's called Power Versus Force. It's mind-bending. And Dr. David Hawkins, and uh, if you really want to go down a weird path, Power Versus Force will melt your brain. And huh. it's definitely worth read. And you'll, you'll walk away from it thinking, I don't even know what to do with that information. But it had a powerful effect on me because a lot of us that grew up in the 70s, we, we weren't tuned into you know, not necessarily transcendental things, but things that we didn't understand. It was meat and potatoes, literally. You know, you went and you rode your bike, you went to school and you did what your grandma told you. You read a book like that and said, this whole world is full of things you don't understand. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's a, it's a wonderful book though. If you're up for it, give it a try. Fantastic. What is a one habit practice or belief that you've taken on in the past five years that's had a positive impact on your life? Red wine. <laughs> very very important uh it, it's it's kind of the you know the the appreciation for the work as you get older what i think that the habit really has been is diversity of exercise i was in my kind of mid-30s and i fancy myself as a you know an accomplished amateur athlete my wife is an olympian so i can't say anything because she just wins she just plays that card and i'm out <laughs> um, weekend warrior we'll call it. and it was a doctor and i i was about 35 40 and he said you better start you know doing different activities because you're going to start getting hurt and i thought ah what do you know turns out <laughs> he was right and as you know as i'm approaching 60 which i don't know how that happened but uh understanding how to stay fit and making a commitment to physical fitness is a routine that i've really had to embrace and you don't think of it in your 40s and 50s. And all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, these guys were right. You know, you really, if you, I like to play hockey and drink beer. But if you don't ride your bike and lift weights and do these other things that you may not want to do before, you're going to get hurt or you're not going to be fit. So embracing the physical side allows me to, A, drink more wine and B, work more hours because, you know, work, save, invest, right? 
Yeah. Work a hundred hours a week and stop complaining just like you guys do. Well, you know what? And I, speaking of which, I guess I'm at that stage. I, I was, uh, at a chiropractor yesterday and he said, I guess this is a big wake up call for you. eh?" <laughs> so, uh, uh, stretching, stretching is one thing that I'm embracing. Yeah. In the old days, guys didn't go to yoga class. And now old people who don't admit it, of course, are all my friends are quietly going, don't tell anybody I went to yoga class. I said, I'll go to hot yoga when they got cold beer. I'm not going, but one of these days, of course, I'm going to have to, because, uh, if we do love to work and we're all going to work into our older age, there's no such thing as retirement in your business. Uh, retire from what? This is what we love doing. And to be healthy and engaged in the community and keeping your body and mind active is the practice that I would say I do most. And a final question, something that you've bought for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life. Did I mention red wine? Yeah. I, I, I think I, that. Yeah. <laughs> most of these questions can just be answered by saying that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, I told you I was so frustrated with my air fryer last time because it worked too well. Uh, <laughs> But uh, probably the, the positive impact is uh, go get yourself a good quality bike. I was never a bike rider. I mean, we had a three-speed with a banana seat and a sissy bar. I mean, that was a bike. We didn't, you didn't ride it. it was, sissy bar. That's what it was called. You were allowed to say that. that. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> you know, and, and you thought you were pretty cool with your red racer and the sparkly seats. And then <laughs> my, my son kind of introduced my wife and I to this idea of trail riding, mountain bike riding. And... You know, you, you buy your first bike at Costco until you realize that doesn't quite work. Right. And, and it was good to get into it. And then the escalating prices. So we've advanced and bought ourselves good quality bikes. And it's a, a mental and physical challenge to push yourself, not get hurt. But that bike has really uh, introduced a new kind of exercise and a new freedom to get outside. And we've really, really enjoyed our bikes. And they run in about that price range. So, so Vince, uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us today. How can people find out more about Pilot House Real Estate and then also uh, Beyond the Blindfold, Harnessing the Secret Power of Context, your book? Well, f first you can look us up at Pilot House and info at Pilot House does come to me. And honestly, I if, for some people that did call me after the last show, thank you. I will call anybody back. I love this stuff. Please, if you have a question, shoot me an email with your phone number. I'll call you back. Beyond the Blindfold has its own website, and a, and a shameless plug, I've, I've started a, a series called The Twisted Lens, and it's five-minute hits on context and perspective on special events of the day. Uh, we were talking about the Ukrainian war, we were talking about electric cars, we are talking about all kinds of things. So once a week, this comes out. And so Beyond the Blindfold, uh, please have a look at it and check out The Twisted Lens. But if you want to talk real estate, Give me a shout at Pilot House or send me an email and I will absolutely call you back because uh, I really appreciate young people also looking for ideas on how to get in the market. And just as a final, so Twisted Lens, is that should people be Googling that? What's yeah, the... you can look it up on YouTube. You can look it up anywhere called the Twisted Lens. And it's just me talking about current events, but trying to look at things through do different lenses. You know, we, we believe that we read in the newspaper and sometimes to quote myself, you got to twist the lens and look at problems of the day, situations of the day through a new lens and context and perspective. And that's what I spent 10 years writing that book, unwinding a lot of false ideas and false arguments that I had. And it was a terribly painful process to realize that some of the ideas that I had and learned all my life and kept sacred were just simply wrong. It was awful to have to write it. So I wrote a whole book on context and perspective and the Twisted Lens series is five minute bites weekly on topical things that I hope everybody finds interesting. 
Fantastic. Well, well, thanks again, Vince. That was uh, another great conversation and uh, hopefully we can have you back. Beautiful. I can't wait. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Vince Taylor, president of Pilot House Real Estate and author of Beyond the Blindfold, Harnessing the Secret Power of Context. Really enjoyed that conversation with Vince, Matt, and it's always great having him in the studio on the program. He's a big draw usually for the show. A lot of people love tuning in to hear Vince's uh, experience and his thoughts on the market. You know what? I do think kind of the Don Cherry thing's apt, partly because Vince will tell you what he thinks. He'll say it plainly and clearly. And it comes out of, just as Don Cherry had, you know, basically had hockey in his bones kind of through the years. Right. Vince has been in this market for a very long time. So there's that experience that's just intangible, but you can just, you can feel it. Right. Which is, I think, really speaks to people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it was a good conversation. Lots of takeaways there. Lots of kind of headlines out of that, uh, out of that show. So this 10, this 10% downturn. Right. Got a text from Vince after he left Kokomo Studios, and he said on the drive home, he thought of a nice, fun metaphor for the slight downturn we are going to experience here in Vancouver. He's going to call it the real estate market happy hour in the fall. It's because prices are going lower for a short-term window where you can buy the same product a little cheaper. Interesting. From three to five so Thursdays. <laughs> three to five Thursdays. <laughs> Yeah, $1.25 highball. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it and to frame it in general, because it, it is the idea of this kind of this brief window, right? This brief buying opportunity. It kind of puts me back in thinking about last August, September. There was this weird moment, and that was really the market taking a breath. September. Right? It was, um, I feel like even August well, even, felt busy after, in hindsight, September was really that moment. Yeah. I just remember because I had a listing in August where our expectations kind of weren't met with the market. It was kind of like the market just turned off briefly. And I remember there's like a handful of like pretty good deals that happened in the market yeah. right in that period. So to get that for, you know, six to eight months, uh, fingers crossed for buyers. But um, it'll be interesting to see if there's uh, if there's some opportunities. One thing that I, I would say is probably on the way out is the bait price. Because even in the last week or two, we've seen some failed bait prices where you're like, man, that did not succeed in the way that people were probably expecting. I think that strategy, of course, works very well in very hot markets. And right now it's, well, it's spotty, right? We're seeing some some big sales and and some that you're like, huh, right? I don't know if that was a strategy. Well, and something we haven't really talked on the show about, but something that's kind of seems like it's inevitably coming to the marketplace is the cooling off period. And, and I wonder what that will do for strategies as well. I mean, will we move to this period in time where people just ask what they want? Yeah. For property, right? It'll be interesting to see how that kind of shapes pricing strategies. Yeah, because I mean, the multiple offer ideas, it's very challenging when somebody can walk away from any number. Well, one (laughs) of the biggest, yeah, one of the biggest incentives, obviously, as a seller is to know that you're sold that evening and to be done with it, right? Which is such a powerful thing. So it's all super interesting and you're going to hear about it all here on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. So stay tuned. Matt, before we cut for the day, though, Let's talk about VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer where you get VIP presale for residential projects. You get VIP presale access for commercial real estate projects. You get deal of the month. You get stats. 
quickly and before anyone else and stats that you don't see anywhere else. You also get the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. There's basically no reason why you shouldn't be surfing VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have, of course, Adam, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. It is the best way to search for real estate in Vancouver. And if you want to do a custom search for what I call kind of the deal finder parameters, get in touch. We can set that up for you as well. It's a great way to kind of monitor the market. And the other thing I just want to mention is a shout out to our sponsors who have sponsored the show recently, because first of all, fantastic, fantastic businesses that are sponsoring the show. I, it's, and, it's, and it's, I'm really proud of the sponsors we have. I am as well. And uh, it's what allows us to keep this show going and keep this show moving. And uh, we appreciate the support. VREP community appreciates the support. So that's fantastic. But Matt, how can people get in touch with you? Give me a shout at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Well, have a great week, guys. And we're back with amazing episodes next week. And uh, so many good episodes So coming. many good episodes coming and so many things to talk about. Cooling off period for one, the Vancouver plan draft just came out. I'm excited to get somebody on about that. There's so... Hey, the times are a-changing. See you next week. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today.